it's Chris. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. First of all, it's free. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will then distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. You don't have to do any of that work. In addition, you can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Hello, hello. Season 3, Episode 2. Lydia Yuknovich is here. She's one of those all-time favorite writers I mentioned last week. We discuss her collection, Verge, among other things. I'm going to bug you again not my favorite part, but I'm tired of that ad at the beginning of the episodes, and I think you probably are too. So if you head over to anchor.fm slash situation and story, you can click the support button for as little as 99 cents a month. I can get rid of that stinking ad. Anyway, glad you're back. If you get a chance, leave a review on Apple Podcasts or just click a star rating. Really will help the show. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the conversation. Why do you write? I'm one of the people on the planet I know I'm not the only one for whom it is true. Um, I get into too much trouble when I don't write. Mm -hmm. Um, And I mean mental health trouble and uh, substance trouble and just general make weird choices and do naughty things trouble. Uh (laughs) And so for me, writing is the thing that keeps me in the world and balanced and you know not cuckoo what do you mean by in the world well yeah that was a weird thing to say i mean you know um participating in existence Mm -hmm. if i can write i can manage and navigate you know being in the world and when i'm not writing i'm literally at my worst i'm just a girl gone wrong. <laughs> <laughs> so what does it look for, look like for Lydia as a writer? Are you, do you write every day? No, although, I mean, the answer is yes. If you're asking me, does writing and storytelling happen in my body every day? Like I carry storytelling and art around in my body every day and it's doing its thing. It's composting and dreaming and imagining and making images. But if you're asking, do I sit down at EO computer every day? No, <laughs> I'm, I'm a binge writer. 
um, the metaphor for how my writing practice goes is ocean waves. So first calm ocean, but the energy is building underneath the surface and turning into a kinetic thing. And by the time you see the wave, if you're standing on the shore, that's me sitting down to write. <laughs> it like pours out in like eight or nine hour stretches. And it's, it's nuts. It's like not coherent. Nobody can understand it. But I'm my happiest. I'm like swimming in the ocean. Yeah, that's. I mean, of course you would you would compare it to water. But <laughs> I, my partner and I watched a TED talk again last night, and um, I don't know if it was because of that or what, but I had a lucid dream last night that I was standing out on like a small patio by the coast. My mother was there which that's a tenuous relationship, but I, I'm, the sun is going to set over the ocean. And I'm like, mom, look, I'm just like shouting, look at the sun. Isn't it like incredible? And as it sets, it splash, like the ocean splashes, like it dropped into the ocean or something. It was, I, love this. I, didn't, I don't know yet what it meant, but I was like, I have to tell her this because it felt somehow related to, you know, reading your books again, kind of the past week, and and then watching that TED talk, it was like, wow. oh, I love your dreams so much. Uh, yeah, it was amazing. I and keep trying to tell people imagination is a real place, but nobody believes me. Yeah, <laughs> I love your dreams. It was it was awesome. Your but, dream should be in my current novel. Your dream is exactly what's going on in the thing I'm writing right now. So. Please, I'd be honored to put it in there. For it. Um, kind of, yeah, so I'm not sure what, what order to go in here, but the dream thing has me wondering, especially, you know, I really want to focus on birds today, but um, when it comes to short stories, do you think they get easier to construct the more you do it, or is it something somebody either has or doesn't have kind of thing is it a... what a great question i mean you know writing is a is a living practice so if you practice anything over and over again unless you just truly suck at it you're gonna get better <laughs> i mean there are things i truly suck at that i should just give up on like <laughs> i i shouldn't try to ever be fancy riding a bike i just up. it's terrible it's like don't do it Lydia just stay away from it um, so yeah if you practice the art of writing short stories you'll get better um I almost don't care though because that's not what interests me right like I'm I've lost interest um in bettering my craft <laughs> Don't tell okay, me. Say more about that, please. I've, I've sort of lost interest in the tradition of um, bettering my craft in favor of this much more dynamic and interesting and scary and thrilling place, which is, you know, pure, intuitive, um, corporeal, waking, dream making stuff. Like, um, short stories for me now are fragments of 
time and space where you catch a character on the cusp of something. And I don't care anymore how stories end if they're satisfying in terms of the tradition. And right. I don't care about climaxes so much <laughs> anymore or establishing uh, traditional characters or conflicts. I care about setting a character in in a situation and conditions where they vibrate. Mm. And can you make that a reading experience that's cool for the reader, whether or not they like it or don't like it, or, you know, I'm not in it for clicking like. <laughs> I right. just want to know, did you feel something in your body? That's, I, could, I think that's what I mean when I say get better at it. Um, Cause like Verge and even I notice when I'm reading Verge, I can't not feel the connections between like the misfits. Oh yeah. And the stories in Verge. So like, oh yeah, yeah, it's an homage to misfits. Yeah. So it's like where I want to be always artistically. Where like how you say the character is on the cusp. I feel like. Your characters in Verge are on the cusp of, I don't even know how to describe it, and I've been wrestling with it for a few days, but like this visceral truth. Yeah. And the story that pulses almost. Yeah. Um, how do you form these characters? Well, uh, almost every story in Verge is an homage in some form to someone I either know personally or... Um, the conditions are near someone I've actually known and loved. And so for each story, I just tried to create the material conditions, the physical conditions of their lives. And all of their lives are kind of in an in-between world. And all of their personalities are misfitted in one way or another. And, you know, you probably hear this too. I, I hear all the time, especially after I wrote the Misfit book and shared other people's stories, people kept coming up to me and going, well, everybody's Misfit. We're all Misfits. And I was like, yeah, that's kind of like saying everyone is queer or every, you know, like, I hear you, but no. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, and so then I thought about my reaction to that and why it was pissing me off. And I came down to the idea that yeah, but not everybody wants to honor, pay homage to, and fight for the slightly wrong person, the misfit person. Yeah. And so, and so that's how these stories got born. I, I wanted to pay homage, you know, the woman who's about to make the worst choice of her life, the moment before that. Or maybe she makes the right choice, but, <laughs> but the story ends before you know, or the character who gets erased by passerbys yeah. or is unseen or treated badly because of the job they have. Um, I wanted to fight for them and I wanted to pay homage to them. And I wanted even the, the ugliness or what other people would think of as ew to be as beautiful as possible. Mm, mm -hmm. <laughs> like even if there was blood and guts, I wanted it to yeah. be beautiful. For I mean that's how that's how it feels for me. One of my favorite favorite stories in the collection is Streetwalker, and 
there's something, A, it kind of reminds me, I have a, like my teen years were spent like deeply embedded in like a fundamental religious kind oh, of got it. Uh, thing. And I remember always thinking like this, you know, when I read about Christ, he would have hung out with streetwalkers. And I, I took on this like persona maybe or this desire to yeah, invite prostitutes into my house to hang out <laughs> or pay them for an hour so they can rest. Just like the juxtaposition, I guess, of the, the humanity, like the most bare naked humanity. Uh, like sitting in a bougie living room. Yeah, yeah. Or the piece about the, the McDonald's drive through <laughs> Just those kinds of, like it puts truth right in your face. A little bit, a little bit. But two, it's like the characters aren't making righteous choices. No, like, I... Right in the middle of their seemingly righteous choice, they often get caught with their pants down. Right. <laughs> You know, like, um, but what was interesting to me about that Streetwalker story is that those two women, um, a lot of the stories have something to do with capitalism, right. too. And those two women are not opposites. Right. Those okay. two women carry each other on the inside out of each other. Mm -hmm. And so I noticed some readers read the, the basic setup which is this bouge lady, bouge white lady, who isn't rich or anything. She's a teacher, right? right. You know about this. I know about mm -hmm. this. But, you know, she's bouge compared to the streetwalker, yeah. for sure, and maybe even some of her neighbors. And, you know, she's making this sort of privileged choice, right? And that is a way to read the story, and that's there, and that's how I set it up. But it's also her looking for something in herself that she lost. Oh, yeah. And even the streetwalker character who comes into the house is writing. She's leaving a story too when she right. carves the thing into the table. She's also a writer. Yeah. And so you see what I mean? They have the seeds of each other inside them oh, and yeah. they're both sort of stuck inside woman and capitalism and, and you know, there ain't no getting out of that. <laughs> yeah, it's um, they're more alike than not. Exactly. Um, the couple lines from that story where you wrote, there is a schism in us all. It shows up differently in every woman or it dissolves into layers of skin, fat, and homeownership, tidy haircuts, and well-applied makeup. And I think this connects back to what you're saying about when people say, oh, everybody's a misfit. Like, no, I mean, maybe, but we all kind of either we own that or we, you know, go down the, the path of least resistance, I guess. Yep. yep. Um, I just, I love that line. Thank you for loving that line. That's, I'm much better on the page than I am in person. <laughs> I'm so fucking wordy in person. I just like blah, blah, blah. But that line is what I mean. Right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't think you're, I think you're just as delightful off the page. <laughs> um, so, yeah. Anyway, Verge, to me, is also like a deeply political book. 
Oh, thank you for saying that. Okay, so I was wondering what you thought about that. Do you agree? Was it meant that way? It's meant that way, not in the, I'm so righteous, I right. would, not like that. <laughs> but um, the reason I like hearing that from anyone who's willing to say it is because it's meant to bring contradictions and binaries in face-offs mm -hmm. without resolutions mm -hmm. in a way that, like, as you're reading it, you can't just get away with not caring. You have to think something. Even right. if what you think is, I hate this. <laughs> and I don't want to think about it. Well, by that reaction in and of itself makes me happy. Exactly. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's, I know I get, I love how you just said that binaries are facing off with each other. That's, oh, I love it. I me love too. it. <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to, the last three things I've written, I'm trying to keep, you know, inhabiting and driving down the epidural layers of binaries because i'm so done mm. uh, but it's hard it's hard our whole culture is structured to keep you mesmerized and asleep yeah uh with easy ways of thinking of things um but mm. i'm not giving up when i'm like 97 <laughs> I'll, have, I'll have written a decent book oh shut up <laughs> I feel like Verge is the book of the century. Oh, you're so kind. Look, I'm not trying to, to flatter you. I just, there's something very special here. And that might just be the way that I'm consuming it. But, um, yeah, I don't know. Um, so, yeah, I think it's political. Not in that, yeah, especially the capitalism stuff and the patriarchal criticisms and commentary uh, i love the story the organ runner oh thank you it creeps a lot of people out apparently. oh my god that's <laughs> that's the type of thing i love it's just so in your face yes <laughs> um um tell me what you're trying to do with that story probably a bunch of things um you know, I'm never trying to do something prescriptive in any story. I'm usually trying to hold something in suspension mm. or that other thing I said, like create the conditions where you're in your body in a sitch. <laughs> mm -hmm. And and I love that, you know, holding the reader in, in suspension or making a space for them to and kind of invent their own meanings. Mm. But I can also tell you literally um so i i am a middle-aged woman and so i meet all these other women in the world who are um who wear makeup and fancier clothes and um kind of heteronormative hair mm -hmm. so <laughs> and, i'm with you and shopping and um fingernail polish um i meet a lot of women who don't believe me when i say um these people exist they think mm. i'm making fictional characters that are you know a little bit gritty mm, mm -hmm. and they're like oh your imagination is so dark <laughs> and i'm like um so this story is based on a student i worked with for a couple years mm. who had escaped very dire circumstances um as a 15 year old um 
from the Ukraine mm. in a repressive, oppressive area. And organ running was a thing. Mm. And um, she also was uh, in a wheelchair and had no use of her legs, partly because of that life and something mm. that happened to her that was hard, as hard can be. Mm. And um, she also had epilepsy. And so uh, she died. Um, mm. And I loved her like a daughter. I loved her for real. And um, so when I when I'm with other people in a sort of hierarchy of intelligence and economy and mm. fanciness and and they don't believe the person exists, <laughs> it's like my job in life is to not only create these characters, but put them in motion in to use your term terminology in your face ways. Mm hmm. So that you can't like they'll haunt your dreams. <laughs> yeah, you can't look, you can't unsee it, right? You can't look away; it's there. Um, but it wasn't just to be creepy. Um, it's my way of giving her life and breath and story. And I put it. I don't know if this is apparent or not, but it's in kind of folktale or fairy tale form. Mm. Only it's pretty dark. <laughs> mm -hmm. But. Well, her choices and what happens to her is a little bit a kind of updated folk tale. Right. Is it a revenge story? Yeah, that I noticed that phrase been thrown about lately, um, partly because of I May Destroy You and um, A Promising Young Woman. I've been noticing online people are are using it like it's a hit phrase. I don't <laughs> think I don't think the organ runner is a revenge story. I just think she's being, she's precisely articulating the conditions of her life. And she's been born into certain material conditions and she takes those conditions and makes her choices and takes her chances as precisely as possible. Mm. I want it to be a revenge story. You can. I feel like it's a fuck the patriarchy story. Well, you know, in terms of the economic conditions, it is. Mm. You know, she is born into a certain nation with certain economic relationships in the world. And she's making her choices inside that. Mm. And then certainly toward the end, what she thinks and says about where she's headed um, is meant to at least get the reader thinking. Right. So with these characters earlier, you kind of said you, they're all kind of an homage to someone in your life. Do the, cause I was going to ask how, how do you determine the point of view and the main characters in your stories? Just like from, I guess, kind of a craft perspective. Um, how do you make that decision? If it's going to be first person or third person or a man or a woman or yeah yeah i'm i'm sure it fluctuates um but if i can hear their voice yelling at me i t i tend toward first person okay um if i'm kind of obsessed with watching them i tend toward third person i love it you know as observer and if i want to fuck 
with the reader, I I go straight for second person. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. <laughs> but uh, those aren't hard and fast rules. I've just noticed a tendency. If I can literally hear the voice of a character, it's it's very first person ish for me. Right. Um, it's tricky. So this, I mean, I have to ask, and I know you're kind of asked this often, but how thin is the line if there is a line between fiction and nonfiction? Well, I, it's like I'm on some kind of odyssey where the membrane is dissolving entirely um, and, and I'm becoming suspicious of the division in the first place. <laughs> mm. um, on the other hand, I understand if you're claiming the space of nonfiction and you're writing shit that never happened, right. that's, that's complex and tricky. Um, and I get that. So I'm not, I don't have a beef with that. I have a beef with the idea that they're separate from one another because you cannot write nonfiction without using the practices and elements of fiction writing. And you cannot write fiction without self story informing what you create, whether you admit it or not. And so since those two things are true, my my suspicion comes in like, well, who made these categories and why and how, what does it have to do with money and, mm -hmm. you know, capitalism and marketing and the industry. And so then when I go down that path, I'm like, fuck all y'all. Yeah. I'm like, I'm going to merge them. You're not going to be able to tell what shelf to put this book on. But well. um, um, anyway, it's an open question for me, but I'm not very loyal to the division right. anymore. Um, so in your view, and I'm, I have a suspicion that you're not going to want to like answer this definitively, but what is the, not what is the purpose, but how would you define a short story? A fiction short story? Yeah. It's an, it's a very old act of, um, a larger storytelling effort that we've used to help each other feel less alone. Mm -hmm. And it has, yes, it has certain formal elements that you could make a list of. I just think that list needs to come apart and be remade over and over and over again. And it mm -hmm. hasn't been. I agree. I recently honestly your collection kind of inspired this but i had a memoir manuscript at least the first draft complete and you know it deals with a lot of pretty heavy traumatic stuff and going through the process of writing that was re-traumatizing in a way um so i stopped right after i finished the draft i haven't come back to it it's been like two or three years yeah and i want to write this book i want to tell this story and i think i want to do it through a collection of short stories ah instead of you know the, yeah, yeah. 
memoir form. Um, and I found that it actually allows me to access and process the trauma more easily. I completely believe you and I identify with that. Yeah. But <laughs> in your TED talk, you talk about the little stone in your throat, right? Can you see it? <laughs> yeah. Um, I relate to that. So I know, right, the, the way to get the stone unstuck is to tell the story, right? Mm-hmm. Um, how did you get over that hump of being like, my story doesn't matter? <laughs> yeah. Um... Or like, you know, advice for those that still have that stone stuck there. Right. I always find it useful to um, give the ego a graham cracker and let her sit slightly to the side for a second. Because when I do that, I remember um, it's not <laughs> it's not just for me. Um, and how dare I withhold stories that could help somebody standing just behind me who wants to kill themselves? How, how dare I not tell them? You know, the young Lydia who was on the verge, right? Mm -hmm. Would I keep those stories from her if it would help her keep going, if it would help her stay? Um, mm -hmm. So if I remind myself, in other words, that storytelling isn't for me, not even the chronology of water, it was never for me. It's for the person um, next in line so that they don't lose heart and so they don't feel as alone and wrong. And somebody standing behind you too, probably a whole legion of people, you know, waiting for whatever version yours comes out as. Chronology of Water came out as a short story that was 10 pages long, made of fragments when I was in my mid-20s. Mm -hmm. And, you know, 25 years later, it turned into a memoir. <laughs> but certainly not then. It started, for my first life stories were short stories. Damn, I've been selfish because... <laughs> I mean, the other, the other creature on the other shoulder says, how dare I think that my pain you know, is big enough or my trauma is big enough to be even considered painful or traumatic. Yeah, I hear you. I gave that person, that creature in me, I gave that creature a different job. Mm. That like critical little monster gorgile creature, like how dare you? Mm. I gave her a job that's like, you know, Artemis. And the job was go guard the periphery. Mm -hmm. We need somebody like you who's this little creature gargoyle, how dare you to guard the <laughs> periphery so nobody can get in. And that's a much better job than just punishing myself. Mm. Um, so I literally picture an Artemis figure, like making sure no shitheads get through. <laughs> I love it. And it works. I... It works. Um... Give, give your creatures jobs. Give them yeah. good jobs to do it. It helps you. It just moves the story around a little bit. Well, and there's another creature, too. I don't know if you want to hear about this one. I but... totally want to hear about it. <laughs> um, just, you know, wrestling with how should I write my story. It, I, I can't write it until I know how I should write it. 
is like a nice convenient way to keep not writing it. So what what would you say to someone that's like, well, I don't know what form, you know, is it supposed to be a short story? Is it supposed to be a novel? Is it supposed to be a memoir, you know? Yeah, I, that's actually poignant for me because I never know on any project what the form's going to be. Um, but I have written on my wall a Virginia Woolf quote that just says, arrange the pieces how you may. And I took that like a heart tattoo. And I, I, I personally take it to me, just write little tiny pieces, little fragments of things until they gain momentum mm. and they start showing back to you like, oh, it's supposed to be lyric fiction. Okay. Um, but first I just have to write little pieces of things, no matter what it is. It could be an essay, a novel, a poem. Well, I don't write poetry. I'm the world's worst poet. Um, <laughs> you know, it could be anything. It's kind of like the bike thing. Like, stay, yeah. with, stay away from it, Lydia. In fact, stay I away. thought you were going to say poetry when you said the bike thing. Stay away from it. Don't do it. Um, but you hear what I'm saying? I gave, I sort of hit this place in my life now where I just need to write pieces until the pieces talk back. Right. And Auntie Verge helped me. Mm. So good. So advice for ones with the stone stuck. You know, the actual necklace helped because it was a physical, I'm, I'm a person who needs um, objects like you wouldn't believe and talismans. I'm so mm -hmm. glad you can't see my desk. <laughs> of just every sort um i'll show you a couple of examples that don't make me look insane <laughs> okay but like my whole desk is covered with here's a shell mm -hmm. um objects and talismans and so for some reason getting a material version of the emotional feeling um so collecting rocks uh helped me um understand that what i felt was a something real you could hold in your hand mm. not something i needed to go to more doctors about and explain abstractly what it feels like to me and so mm. you know making a, a connection to i guess it's object relations theory stuff mm. has literally helped me um and so that's one thing i have had many years of therapy I have been on antidepressants off and on. I'm not on any right now, but I have been for decades. Um, swimming, um, meditation, mm. which I started off being crappy at, really crappy. Uh, but after years and years of practice, I got a little better at it. I also modified it, so it yeah. <laughs> my own version of it. Right. <laughs> um, but, but to be honest with you, here's something that feels real to me. And so it may or may not feel real to you, and I get that. But if the pressure to um, hold something in and not tell it coming this way, and the pressure to let it out and express it, when those two things are intention, you kind of you're sort of stuck yeah 
when the pressure to express and tell it gets bigger than the pressure to hold it in, um, that's the day. That's when the change happens. And so nobody can decide for somebody else when the pressure to tell will get bigger. It's like this event horizon between the two. And what I have learned, again, you don't have to agree with me or even believe me, but holding it in turns into bad choices in my life and pain and illness and anxiety and depression and despair. So holding it in turns out to be worse in the right. long run than the act of expression, which is truly frightening, but compared to what I do to my body if I hold it in. Well, as a career drinker, <laughs> career relapser, mm -hmm. um, I noticed that when I started to tell it I wanted to drink, and I did drink, a lot like like let me dissolve and disappear gotcha so that's i guess when does it become like you talk a lot about reinventing yourself over and over right so yeah i'm you know, a serial fuck up so am i <laughs> and so you, you should um hear me saying when i was writing the chronology of water i drank an ocean mm. i touched um, and I, um, coming out the other side of it, you know, the thing written is a pile of pages in front of you. Um, for me, it's a really shitty pile of pages. Yeah, I'm sure it is, was for me too. Like, I just mean there was a pile sitting there right. that had come out of me, right? Yeah. And there was, um, the, the moment of showing somebody else and having it reflected back to me that it wasn't monster poop that it wasn't mm -hmm. monstrous that it wasn't some self-indulgent abyss and the second i found that out i was like oh <laughs> <laughs> maybe i don't need an entire bottle of vodka <laughs> maybe i'm making a story bridge to others and it's not it's not just shit to other people or to other stories i i meant to other people but i think it's story by story so i guess both mm. and again i thought about what if it's not just me right i that's such a novel uh <laughs> idea for me and when, when you said that i'm like uh, i feel like embarrassed that i had never thought writing is not for you it's for the other people that are i mean that's what reading is to me right yeah you, you right? feel less alone and you right exactly can keep going i never thought i guess that's my my self-deprecating streak well you don't have to um be too embarrassed or beat yourself up about it because no one shows us how to do the, you know, give the ego a graham cracker to the side. <laughs> Nobody yeah. shows us how to do that, particularly in this stupid country. Right. So I've been asked by my partner to forward a question to you, but I also have the same question. 
um, as far as the reinventing yourself, right? How do you, I mean, the way you've described it, you, you know, you were at points in your life where you felt like you lost everything, right? Yeah. And you did. <laughs> Spectacularly. And, right. And uh, roles and identities as well. So the question is how do you reinvent yourself when you've lost everything that you feel like made you like everything you thought you were is, has vanished. Um, and it's really scary cause you're swimming in the unknown. You're like, who the fuck am I now? Like, where do you go from there? <laughs> yeah. Well, I won't lie. It's a, it hurts, huh? It hurts. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I've taken great comfort in, uh, our ancestors in the animal world. You know, like a shape, a snake shedding its skin mm. to become its next form is like, <laughs> you don't shed the skin, you die. Right. Right. Or, you know, this one's sort, sort of dork, dorky sounding and yet true. <laughs> you know, caterpillars in cocoons literally lose form and go to goo in the cocoon. I don't know if you know this. Of course. Yeah, I'm a fifth grade teacher. So, oh, so you know. <laughs> but, yeah. And so that goo stage is complete loss of whatever it was before, right? Before it finds its next form. Uh, yeah, but humans have a way of complicating. No, it's, the, it's the human default to change. But we convince ourselves the of the opposite. That's what I mean. We complicate it by... Get ego getting in the way, really. Uh, the intelligence of nature doesn't stop and question, no. well, am I doing the right thing? Is this what I'm supposed to be? But humans do. <laughs> Again, I mean, you know, we're so locked into whatever social structure you come from, mm -hmm. whatever economy you come from, and, and mm -hmm. the roles available in that storyline seem like the only roles in town mm -hmm. but really what we can learn from narrative is that anything is possible mm -hmm. what we can learn from storytelling is the story could change on a dime the story inside fiction and narrative and the novel mm -hmm. anything is fucking possible so we could we could remind ourselves that it is true in life as well it's time to change the story. Not, not everybody has to do the spectacular failure methodology that I've apparently <laughs> like I think there are healthier ways yeah. to get yourself to change. And I'm trying to learn them. I'm trying to learn them. Um, yeah. So I don't make bomblets every so often. <laughs> but I actually think, you know, here's a different way to think about the question. What if our worst failures are just us being bad at understanding we need a radical revision and we need to shed a skin. But since we don't know that, we fuck shit up and we make a big mistake or a failure. But what if that's like a, an act of intuition? Like it is time for your next skin shedding. It is time for change. But, you know, so it's just another way to look at it instead of, asking how do i pick myself up and start over again 
Mm -hmm. You know, ask, what is it generative of? How, how can it show me how to shed this skin so I can step into the next one? What about when the narrative that you've adopted, right? You're, no matter how negative, right? Maybe you were abused growing up or neglected or whatever. Yes. And it lives in the body. Yes. The narrative lives in the body. It feels like that's not something you just decide to change. I know. I don't think it is either. I mean, you know, therapists try to help extract those poison stories. And so that's one way. Right. Um, extreme experiences sometimes extract some of the poison stories. And part of the reason I invented corporeal writing is that we get together in groups in a room and ask, um, ask of the body, what are you holding? Mm. Um, or who's holding <laughs> is it is it messy it's very messy but you know um i was just talking to somebody else about this if you have a constant pain here in your neck and you've had it for years mm -hmm. and i come sit next to you and we're both writing and i start asking gentle questions like when's the first time you felt a pain in your neck in your life write me a little story about that Mm -hmm. Once a time you felt strength in your neck, write me a story about that. Mm. What does your neck look like besides a neck out in the world? Write me a little description of that. What are the five most important things you can remember that have happened to have to do with your neck? Like mm. a little series of fragments called A Brief History of My Neck. Mm -hmm. And so the stories, you know, just little bits, little like 100 word, 200 word fragments around a certain area of our body, because we're carrying everything that ever happened to us. Right. And so if there are access routes and ways to pull some of it out, like your body, if you can find the access route to the stories, your body will yield. And the stories move the energy around and if that's true if what if it's true what i'm saying and i've witnessed it happen hundreds of times now then you can just change the story you can get up literally the next day and you know understand that narrative is in motion and changing and shifting and you know, I have that thing I say, I flap my jaw out in the world all the time. I'm not the story you made of me. Right. We have the t shirt. Yeah. I mean, I have <laughs> to, to remind say ourselves <laughs> to say it to myself. That's, yeah, that's the thing. Because, Since... you know, how dare they? Right. How dare anyone? How dare anyone fucking judge me? Mm. You, you know, have you walked in my shoes a single day? No, you don't get to tell my story. Fuck you. Right. Um, is writing the best way to do that? To, to I don't know if it's the best way. I think it's, it's a, a you know. way. Mm -hmm. I mean, I also think drawing and painting and songwriting and sculpture and dance work this way. Mm. What about swimming? Swimming for sure um swimming for me is as close as um person who's as cynical 
and obsessed as I am can get to something like Zen. Oh, really? Yeah. If I'm swimming, first of all, my hamster brain stops. Mm -hmm. And the only other things that get my hamster brain to stop are like drinking or drugs or something not right. good for you. But if you place me in water, like a little sea monkey, <laughs> hamster brain stops. I'm pure body, I'm in motion, it's rhythmic, it's meditative. I don't have to, because because it's natural to me, I don't have to think about the motions at all. Right. Um, and nobody cares what weight I am, or what age I am, or if I'm pretty, or if I'm successful, or what my fucking name is, or what is and isn't going right in my body. If I'm in the water, you feel weightless. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone should have something. I agree. Like that. Yeah. I've seen this like corny meme circulating. I mean, it's not corny, but it's kind of cliche at this point. But but I think there's a ton of truth to it. Um, think about you know when you lost track of time as a kid. Yeah. And the, uh, what you were doing, and that, yeah. that's what you're meant to do, kind of thing. Yeah. I don't. Yeah. I also like it can also happen for me in you know kind of basic spaces like maybe because I watched so many movies as a kid I can feel it watching movies mm. particularly when we used to be able to go to theaters mm. <laughs> um, I can do the letdown because uh, I I love movies, even bad I movies. I, I do <laughs> love them. So yeah. it's not as difficult to achieve. Like if somebody was sitting here with us and they said, "Well, what if I don't have a magical zone?" Right. Um, it can be kind of basic. It could probably be cooking for some people, or going to movies, or you know, gardening, gardening, or yeah, yeah, yeah. It doesn't have to be creative per no, se. Not necessarily. Um, huh, yeah. So, okay. So real quick, back to drinking an ocean during the chronology of water. <laughs> Did you carry guilt about that? I don't know. Like, I'm almost afraid to reapproach the material because I, what if? I, I can drink? understand that. I can totally understand that. So I guess I'm kind of curious, what what should I do with that? Or what could I do with that? Or is it just as simple as, yeah, it's fucking scary, but do it anyway? Well, yeah, it's fucking scary. And yeah, you do have to do it anyway. But I, w I will remind you of something you already know. You don't have to make it as hard as possible on yourself. You could, for example, um, make the conditions around going back in more supportive for yourself you could make support systems around it so the right. going back in isn't i mean i'm a born masochist same so <laughs> if it's not hard and painful it's not worth anything mm -hmm. well that's some bullshit. <laughs> that's some like deep puritanism kind of yeah stuff. yeah that is some you know I, I mean, I've said this before, I'm pretty sure nobody could harm me the way my father harmed me better than I can. Right. And so that's what I do. <laughs> but 
um, more recently, uh, I have understood when I'm getting ready to do something I know is hard, it's not that it being hard is going to kill me. I just need to bring in some helpers. Mm. So I need to bring in like the talismans, okay. and the quotes, call in some ancestors, um, get a few trusted people or even one trusted person to kind of be your touchstone person um, or be in a small writing group or, you know, like instead of making it as hard as possible on myself, make it play. Right. Remember to play. And I feel like that's what kind of fictionalizing it could be does it feels yeah it feels more fun almost not i mean not maybe i think following the fun is not a bad thing i think following the play is actually might be your intuitive self trying to tell you something and and i'll tell you too um the chronology of water which is a memoirish thing and the novel I wrote, The Small Backs of Children, to me, they're companion books. Mm. One of them is a little girl who survives the abuse of her home by becoming a writer. Right. And the other one is a little girl who's in a fantastical war zone who saves her own life by becoming an artist. Right. They're like, <laughs> to me, they're the same story. Only right. one of them has fiction coordinates. Right snowy war zone in eastern europe right and the other one has like my backyard in (laughs) washington yeah yeah too i mean that's something that occurred to me in the last year it was like you don't you don't just get one shot to tell your story like because yeah i have the whole perfectionist thing that holds me back too from starting just like well it's not going to be perfect the first time But I know that's impossible. Yeah. Surrender that shit. It's never going to be perfect. So why worry? <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know. I, it lives in the body. I know. I know. It's like, I can't, even if no one sees it but me, if it is outside of me, I'm vulnerable. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I do. Mm. But there are things we can do to shift the energy of it. Like writing fiction might really feel good to you and it might bring you a little play back. So it's not just, you know, the depressive abyss. Right. <laughs> Giving your critical pieces of you jobs to do um, might help. Getting more help, ancestor help, object help, people help around you. There are things you can do. Yeah. It's funny you say ancestor help. I think, I don't know if I told you this or Kelly Thompson or something, but after meeting you at Tattered Cover and hearing you read that first time here in Denver, I was like, man, Lydia has the same or very similar energy to my dad's mother who passed away young and I was young, but I have very vivid memories of her energy her Mm -hmm. loving like just calm loving wise creative fun energy and when i saw you read i was like she has the energy the same energy it's like it's weird because i must have been five or six when she passed but something in me 
remembers. That's beautiful mm -hmm. memory. Uh, you have to let me say alongside it too, though. I'm also the person who, you know, had a head on collision after drinking a whole bottle of vodka and almost irreparably harmed someone. I'm yeah. her too. I'm her too. I'm Amen. the streetwalker and the, <laughs> Amen. I mean, I'm the teacher. Yeah. <laughs> It's how did you come to like, and I might be, it, it seems to me like you don't hold much shame. No. Which I love. <laughs> and I feel like I'm closer to that point. I mean, there was my, I mean, my twenties were just shame, shame, swimming in shame for every bad decision I could have made. I'm getting closer to being like, this is part of my story. This is who I am. It doesn't make me, I don't know, like you said in the TED Talk, at your worst fucking moment, yeah. you're still perfectly beautiful and valuable. And that made my girlfriend cry last night. So it's just like, uh, I just want to see people come to embody that. So I guess I'm always wondering how. Well, I mean, storytelling and, and writing for me has been the great compost mechanism for shame. Um, I've written my edges back open. Mm. And so the shame dissipates because storytelling, uh, like I was trying to describe earlier, moves the energy around. And I don't have to be the story that I was told I was. And I don't have to be the story people project onto me. And I don't even have to be the story I made of myself forever. Um, there is no law or rule anywhere that, that changes the fact that anything that can be storied can be de-storied and restoried. I mean, the, word, the world used to be flat, baby. To oh, some, it still is. <laughs> I know. Um, <laughs> Scary. America. But like some of our primary narratives, even right now, are falling. And, you right. know, you see the resistance too. Oh, yeah. Know, like, but it's true for us as individuals as well. Let the story fall. Why are you holding on to it? It's heavy. And you don't even look like that person anymore. So then, what's meant when you say we, we carry all of them? all of the stories well we carry the pieces and the threads of the experience and what we decide it means can either be the burden mm -hmm. or the opportunity to keep changing and growing yeah i kind of want to end on asking you if uh if you believe it's going to sound like it's from out of left field but if you believe people are basically good or basically not good for lack of better terms, or neither, or both. Because um, when I hear you say any story, anything we've ever done can be unstoried, I think about oppression, and I think about abuse, and is that true for the abuser? Is that true for the rapist? Is that true for the fucking murderous white cop is that true you know where does justice come in i guess 
Yeah, that's, it's not like I have some perfect and magical answer, ex <laughs> except to say that um, I sort of reject the binary of good and evil mm -hmm. as we've inherited it, usually through theology or organized religion, which is a sin and redemption model um, in Christianity anyway. Right. Or a reincarnation model in other theologies and philosophies. But I sort of reject the binary of good and evil and turn toward the idea that um, those are concepts that we construct uh, as an antidote to fear to in the world. Kind of make sense of things or feel safer. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. And wouldn't it be amazing if we could um, remake our relationship to the planet and plants and animals and each other with different stories? And then the question would be, who's going to write them? Mm. And then the question would be, <laughs> why can't one of the people be me? It, it is. Well... That's, that, that's my answer to your question. Okay. I mean, even if I have no physical evidence in front of me that what I'm doing is helpful in this regard, right. it doesn't matter. Maybe it's after I'm dead or maybe it's just my son won't suck as badly. Right. Or, you know, one person I met in my life stuck around. Mm. It's worth it. <sighs> that's good stuff. <laughs> <laughs> your good stuff <laughs> um well i can keep talking forever but i don't want to take too much of your time well i really appreciate talking to you it's a pleasure to talk to you thank you i really appreciate you giving me that time um cool i can't wait for your next book i'm working on it <laughs> I, there's this thing I come up against every time, which is um, it has to be comprehensible to humans. <laughs> Such a buzzkill. Unfortunately. Well, it doesn't necessarily. I mean, <laughs> you're trying to blur all the lines. You could, I mean, what is it? Do you know that book, um, The Girl is a Half-Formed Thing? Yeah. Yeah, that, that's not terribly comprehensible. <laughs> but it's, it's a fantastic book. No, oh, it kidding. is a fantastic book. Yeah. All right. Well, keep doing what you're doing. Okay. Well, <laughs> I'm waiting for you on the other side of the river. Okay. Yeah. Uh, that reminds me of my dream too. That that dream with the water. It was more than just the water. Like I was seeing things on planet Earth that. That's right. The human eye has never seen before kind of stuff is crazy. That's right. I mean, if I had to, if I had to speculate, your dream was a little bit about how radical change really is. It would look like, what if the sun dropped into the actual water right. and made a splash? Right. Yeah. All right. Okay. Well, thank you again. My complete pleasure.